This is Strange Assembly episode 239, Gen Con 2018, part 1. Of 12. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm Chris Stevenson, and that's Jay Earl. Hi. Hey, and in that episode title, we are indeed bowing to the foreordained reality that this is going to end up as more content than is really workable for one episode. So this will be part one, next will be part two, and there will not be a part 12. <laughs> there just won't. You, you say that now. I, I say that now, I say that then, I say that for all time. <laughs> that is the hill I die on, no part 12. <laughs> Fine, we'll just do 11, if that's what you really want. <laughs> This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there, or you can do it at the Google Play Music Store or the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. As you can tell from the title, we are going to be talking about our Gen Con experiences because I thought that what's more appropriate for Labor Day... (laughs) <laughs> than talking about Gen Con a month after the fact. Yeah. So, in in my defense, I have spent a reasonable amount of time playing things that came out at Gen Con, so that's that's a totally justifiable excuse for why you haven't heard from us in a month, right? <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. And we did have, if you go back and look at the, the Strange Assembly Facebook page and the Strange Assembly Twitter feed, we did have a lot of on-site, well, obviously social media of things. So hopefully, I say this laughing at myself internally, knowing I'm full of it, right? Hopefully, we can uh, try to stick in the episode itself to some more substantive things and less, like, here's a random piece of information about a thing we saw because that we already conveyed with a picture and some accompanying words, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. We're not going to make it, but it's good to have goals. <laughs> you gotta you gotta have goals that's our ambition <laughs> that's our ambition hopefully it'll work better for us than it did for shoju <laughs> yes i was actually thinking in in, in vampire the masquerade fifth edition mechanical terms but it it we also could go with legend of the five rings yes. uh yes uh, it, it did not work out well for Shoju. It seems to be going better for Shoju so far, but uh, in this time around. But Well, yeah, Scorpion are just cleaning up everything. It, yes, I think they just announced, they being Fantasy Flight, just announced for the Legend of the Five Rings card game, the, I think, Season 3 promo mm-hmm. kits are Scorpion, Scorpion-themed. Yep. And in the war, for, uh, war over the city between the lion and the crane, Scorpion get the city. Yes, yes. Clearly, clearly the lion, neither the lion nor the crane can be trusted to competently manage this place, so someone else to, someone else has to be put in charge, and uh, the scorpion are the emperor's buddies. Yeah. Well, I guess, so normally we go through this in a chronological way because I'm just not creative at all, and that's the way that I think about things. But we have already kicked a little bit into Legend of the Five Rings, and... There actually may be some developments on that front worth talking about for this podcast as a whole. So why don't we start off 
with okay so i guess let's back up for those people who are not you know legend of the five rings fanatics a legend of the five rings existed as a ccg and role-playing game and universe and and universe for over two decades and aldrak entertainment group had it uh, a couple of years ago the the setting as a whole was acquired by fantasy flight games last year at gen con in the gen con 20 gen con 2017 or gen con 50 as uh we always made a point of calling it that was uh, the launch of legend of the five rings reincarnated as it were so you had legend of the five rings the card game which came out at gen con last year and then you there's also been one board game which was battle for roku again and then at gen con this year the legend of the five rings beginner legend of the five rings role-playing game uh, beginner box or starter set or whatever it was called i bought it you think i would remember what it was called exactly but who cares really yeah so that was launched this year all right so so legend of the five rings so what what did you do legend of the five rings at gen con this year jay scrubbed out horribly you scrubbed out horribly. Yeah, I played on... So, for the big elf of our tournament, they split the qualifiers into two days, Thursday and Friday. You're only supposed to play in one. I chose to play in Thursday. I went O2 drop, because uh, I'm not good at this game. I don't even remember for sure what I played against that face-rolled me so effectively. Oh, that's right. My first round, I sit down, uh, they do the announcements, they're going through, okay, everybody who's a Hatamoto, please stand up to acknowledge it. And so, of course, my opponent stands up. So that game went pretty poorly for me. (laughs) And then, yeah, the second game was just a case of, I do not draw anything actually helpful while my opponent does, and so he he dishonored me out pretty quickly, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so my Legend of the Five Rings playing at John Con was that I played in a session of the role-playing game. Because I was scared. You were playing in the Thursday mm-hmm. card game tournament. I was playing in the Friday card game tournament, except I actually had a thing before the card game on Friday, and that thing went way over. So I did not get to the L5R tournament area until 45 minutes after the tournament had started. Uh, because they, in fact, started the tournament on time <gasps> this time. It wasn't. It wasn't like last year where, like, for the big launch thing, right? It was a noon official start time, and the games started a couple hours later or something yeah. like that. They actually like it was a 9 a.m. start time, and that meant 9 a.m. start time. Yeah. Not like show up at nine and then we'll do registration for a while. But honestly, I guess I'm going to go out on a limb and say I would have done better than you did, Jay. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm reasonably confident in my ability to at least go like 2-2 through the first yeah. stage and then make it on to extra promo land. But it's not like I would have done well. And I, I felt a little weird going into this because I hadn't actually like 
gotten to my local store and played a physical in-person game since the elemental cycle had hit like a month beforehand which i mean normally okay it had been a month maybe that wouldn't be a huge deal but it is when all a bunch of new cards are coming out yeah exactly i that was definitely another thing too was also yeah i had not had a chance to go to my local store in the month leading up to gen con and yeah so many new cards didn't know what i was doing either yeah yeah and so i want to say something like oh well man i just haven't had the time and that wouldn't be false necessarily because it's not like i don't always have something else that i need to do mm-hmm. right with 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 kids and work and all of that stuff on the other hand the fact of the matter is that in that month, I somehow found time to go play in Pathfinder Society events twice. So it's not like the time could not have been allocated to Legend of the Five Rings. It was just that when I was carving out time to do some gaming thing, that wasn't my top choice. And that is problematic if from a com- competitive standpoint if your object is to be competitive right i mean i am granted i am i'm a long while off of the height of my powers mm-hmm. but i you know actually used to be good at l5r i mean <laughs> yeah right yeah I'm back a bit and so it's awkward feeling for me to not be or to show up not at least being decent at it or like you know competitive at things at some level i mean i i feel weird especially since right we started out as this legend of the five rings only podcast and it it was a long long time ago that we expanded past that but i feel weird showing up at like gen con wearing my strange assembly t-shirt and being like hey i'm chris and i'm not good at this game anymore. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the just time has transitioned and I do other games and have not found the time to, to be as competitive at L5R as I used to be. And so on the one hand, I'm still following L5R. On the other hand, I'm not sure that we collectively have as much to say as I would like to say when it comes to like repeat coverage of the card game as a card game and i'm not i mean there especially there was a time a long long period of time where we were the only people out there covering that yeah you can go now and they're like i don't i can't even list them all jade throne imperial advisor sixth ring right there are multiple podcast options out there now for someone who wants to listen to people talking about Legend of the Five Rings, the card game, at a competitive level. That I don't know that we're really providing a service anymore by trying to do that. And maybe there will come some time in the future where we would be? I'm thinking that our L5R coverage going forward is going to really stay on a more 
casual and and I'd say inconsistent level as if this podcast otherwise comes out on a weekly basis or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And so I mean so that was interesting. So that was that was that was that was the sort of stuff I was thinking about as I was you know kind of standing there all dejected having missed the start of the the tournament because I I simply could not lead the the if you remember, Jay, like every uh, the the event that I had before the Legend of the Five Rings tournament was the Board Game Geek Math Trade, right? Which is this, you know, I'm not going to belabor the the details, but right, it's this this big event where all of us get online before Gen Con and enter in all these lists of games you have and games you would and what you're willing to trade for this. And there's a big algorithm that gets run, and then it spits out a giant list or smaller list depending on how many games you have of who's trading this for that uh and then you all show up and it might be like i hand this person a game and then that person over there gives me a game and then you know what you do that another 10 times or 40 times or however uh over the top you are and so like i'm physically doing that and i right i show up before it's supposed to start and it just did not end up being as efficient as it was supposed to be this year and I had um, frequently not quite recognized the the literal physical volume of things that I had to take back. So like I had to I had to take multiple loads of stuff back to my car. But like I physically can't leave. Right. right? I'm still getting things from people and giving things to people. I can't just be like, sorry guys, I have another event. I'm gonna have to call this game early. I don't know. So I really like doing the math trade, but it. Uh, it did cause me some problems this time. On the bright side, I, I amongst amongst one of the the most voluminous thing that I traded for was a an X Wing collection. Nice. So I now have a bunch more stuff I can use with my newly acquired second edition, and amusingly enough, a healthy selection of things that I can't use <laughs> in second edition yet. Well, yeah. because the the trade included the, I, I only had one epic ship because it's kind of hard to write I do a whole bunch of different things it's, it's kind of hard to justify buying the epic ships because they have their own different rules and like you can't play them at a normal game and okay fantasy flight may make sure to tuck something useful in there in the form of a card but I'm not you know since I'm not all like big X-wing tournament guy, I don't need yeah, yeah. to. Well, I, yeah, it's like okay, so I can't play with Palpatine. Such is life, you know. Yeah. But now I have almost all of the epic ships. I think I just don't have the the most recent one, the Sea Rock Cruiser. But they haven't. There's no conversion yet for those for second edition. <laughs> so I mean, I guess I say I can't play them. Of course, they're perfectly playable under first edition rules still. They're just not playable under second edition rules. I don't know. So that's so for Legend of the Five Rings, the card game. That's the very, I guess, limited, weird, existential sort of things that we have to say. I don't know. Dragon won the tournament, so surely had I played, I would have done very well. That's how it works, right? Right. Totally. With salt boats and so forth. Yes, yes. Never, never mind that any other guy, the guy who won it, also won Origins and is mm-hmm. uh, exceptionally competent. But I did, since we've talked about Legend of the Five Rings, I did get to play the new Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game uh, because 
one of the things that happens when you have an all-day event that gets blown up is that you now have all day to fill. Yes. And so I actually had not had a scheduled game of the the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, and this let me go in and, and like generic ticket into the 3 p.m. event. So uh, I got to play uh, Utaku Azami. You had pre-gens. So my first, so there you go, Utaku Azami, Unicorn Clan, uh, was my first L5R 5th edition character. We had a, um, we literally had no combat, which is, is not at all how they intended for it to go. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they, they it basically, it could, right, because it's, it's structured, it was Wedding at Kyoto Castle, mm-hmm. was the name of the module, and so it's structured to be a, an introduction to the various aspects of the system for use at a convention, and so it, it's supposed to open up with combat against bandits, and then you go to a little investigation bit, and then you go to a social bit, because right, those are the three primary areas of Legend of the Five Rings, and as far as the role-playing game goes. I think, right, do you... Is that... Yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty common formulation. Sound good to you? Yeah, uh, that sounds right to me, yeah. But it's set in Crane Lands, and we have a Crane Clan character, so when we go out and find what like, are pretty obviously bandits pretending to be tax collectors harassing some of the peasants. The Crane Clan player was just like, well, you better get out of here. I'm like, okay. And I, <laughs> I, I actually had my character go, well, you know, I have some experience hunting bandits down in this part of the province. If you'd like my... I mean, I'd be, I'd be grateful if you would let me participate in, in this. And he's like, oh, sure, we'll talk about that next week. I'm like, no, right now, let's go kill the man. Ah, uh, uh, yes, the, the classic, I mean, Elfover is especially bad at this, but the classic RPG problem of staying in character versus actually doing <laughs> the module and what you want. Yes, yeah, well, because, right, it's especially since my my character had the objective, every, you know, right, everybody, each of the characters was given their own personal objective. The unicorn character, or at least this unicorn character, had the objective of being very buddy buddy with the crane and the unicorn and the the, the crane and the phoenix. Ah, uh, yeah. Because there's that tension flaring between the the phoenix and the unicorn about Meishoto, and you want do you know you want to not end up with the the phoenix convinced that you're some you know even more barbaric than everyone would have thought, and then the, you want the crane to stay on side for I guess coming conflicts with lion and and such. So. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really not in a position to be like, hey, Crane, no. what kind of dishonorable cur would simply let bandits walk away? <laughs> I, well, I mean, because now you're just in a duel with the, with with the Crane character. You know, that's not. I mean, that, isn't that, that accomplish how, anything? Isn't that how you become friends with Cranes? Is you're not best buds if you don't duel each other? I think perhaps you're you're thinking of superhero <laughs> oh, crossovers. You're right. You're right. I am. <laughs> yes, it, yes. L5R does not really do the whole we beat each other up until we realize we should have been working together this whole time. So, I mean, that was just an introduction. It's, it's definitely different. The whole elemental ring thing is definitely different because that ended up, if you remember from the, the beta, and they changed a lot of things over the course of the beta, but you still have this fundamental there isn't necessarily any one role that you do for one kind of thing it depends on how you're approaching it 
So it's not all right. There, there is no attribute like perception or strength, or it's it's based on the rings. And so if you're doing something in like an active, aggressive, creative sort of way, you use f- your fire ring, you know, and that might be your firing plus a melee attack, or it might be firing plus poetry you know (laughs) uh it just it depends on elementally how you're approaching it instead of the more uh traditional things it'll be interesting with practice there were definitely some times when you're like i don't really have any idea which element this would fall into for this particular kind of use of this skill so yeah i I would hope with the full game they give sort of some guidelines suggestions ideas for exactly that of which ring should be used for a given scenario. Yeah, I mean, because this, right, we didn't even, they, I, I bought the, the starter box, mm-hmm. but this, this wasn't played using that, which that has its own adventure in it. So the thing that I'm talking about here, this Kyoto Castle, again, it was, it was a convention. Right. Presentation, not the module from the starter box. So you, you don't even have, a write-up that you're looking at, really. You just have your character sheet that has the different sections that it, it splits things into. So, but I, I did have fun playing that, and I'm looking forward to picking up the uh, actual full the actual full version of the game mm-hmm. to, to go with that. But uh, I guess, like, do you want to kick back to the the chronological presentation? And we can see... See, see if we can get through the end of the day on Friday before the end of this episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, sure, we can try. Okay. So, yeah, I guess I'll start with Wednesday. I got in. I was kind of annoyed at myself. I think next year I'm going to have... I, I usually do the, the will call for tickets. I think next year I'm going to have to get them mailed to me. I showed up in time that I could have gone to the in-flight report... But I didn't have my bed, so I had to go wait an hour and a half through the the roll call line to get my badges. Uh, So yeah, basically my Wednesday night was badge line. Which is, you know, to be expected with the badge line. Yeah, and didn't they actually hand something out at the in-flight report this year? Yes, that's why I'm really sad that I missed it. Is, Is Keyforge the name of the new game that they were really pumping that yeah they were apparently handing out starters for that yes the unique deck game and then they they announced another like unique board game since then that one the new one's about wilderness exploration key forge is like a a one-on-one right you know combat ccg or not ccg i don't know i have to admit that the whole unique concept for key forge is very um different yeah yes <laughs> different's a good word yes <laughs> yeah and so we'll see how it goes and so what this this unique thing is is it's it, it's sort of like super duper sealed deck basically that you buy mm-hmm. a randomized isn't really the right word because they have to be constructed they there's they can do an awful lot of stuff with collation these days but you have you, you go and you buy a starter deck and your starter deck is the only starter deck that has that exact configuration out of all the starter decks in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's even got like a unique identifier with it. So 
potentially somebody could like scan the identifier and go online and confirm that this was in fact the exact cards that were in your starter deck because when and when you play that's it there is no deck construction your deck is that one deck but then like there are clearly some decks that are better than other decks so right you also then have the possibility of just buying starter deck after starter deck after starter deck until you get a good one yeah trying to find the starter deck that you think is going to do the best in whatever and i mean how is all that going to work i have no idea but it's a little bit more easier to wrap your head around in the board game context because that's a well i think that's a like you have a party of characters and you're doing some sort of exploration game and there it's not fixed who the characters in the game are it's not fixed like what the tiles and the cards and all that are again every single copy is supposed to be unique but there that's just like okay you it's like you play through and have your own particular experience of what it is and then and also there you probably can just combine copies if you want because we're like even if they say not to who cares right yeah who's gonna stop you yeah there's no judge there's no police <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially since Fantasy Flight, you know, still would probably be like, hey, you want to buy two copies of the game to combine them? Go to town. Would you like to buy ten? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, cynically, right, that's... That for the company can be an upside of such a game is the possibility of having one customer buy the game multiple times. Yes. And, you know, I'm sure that there will be some sort of folks who get cranky about that, just like there were people who got mad about legacy games. Yeah. But, you know, what you gonna do? So, they, yeah, I, I also got in on Wednesday and I didn't really do anything but pick up my tickets on Wednesday and that was that. I I know in past days I've, like, tried to go to... I've actually gone to, to trade day stuff and, I mean, you can choose to do that. It's not a a really high value thing because it's pitched. A lot of it's pitched specifically at the people it's pitched at, right? It's it's pitched at retailers. It's pitched at libraries. It's pitched at educators. Yeah. Uh, it's got some interesting stuff. But if you're not in that, you know, it's it's not like you're crying if you you miss out on that. But I I decided not to, you know, miss an extra day of my actual work to to hit that up this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went through Will Call, of course, on, on Wednesday as well. And then I did the wait in line to wait in line to wait in line thing on Thursday morning. So I do have to say, I think I chose poorly or or just because I wasn't thinking strategically, I guess, about like what things to try to get on Thursday morning. Because I think everything that I, all of the things that I was most interested in, I was able to go and get. But <laughs> all of the things that I was the very most interested in, I also could have just walked up and bought on Sunday afternoon, right? Fantasy Flight ran out of some things. X-Wing 2nd Edition was not one of them. <laughs> Paizo did not run out of copies of the Pathfinder playtest. No man, I I saw that they have they were they were selling Pathfinder playtest rulebooks at Barnes and Noble. What crazy! It's like you they've made it, like big time. Yeah, it's 
They like, they didn't have any limited edition copies, but they even had they had both the soft cover and the hardcover version. Hmm. At the bookstore, I was not expecting that. I mean, I know that they sell Pathfinder stuff there, but the the playtest book was not something I was expecting to no. see. No, I would not have either. But so I I did go and I I I did hit the Fantasy Flight booth first cuz that's always like that line is colossal for yes. long long periods of the day if you're not getting it in right away. And so I did pick up all the X-Wing second stuff basically. It ended up a little awkward. It was kind of when I got back here it was a little weird because, as I've mentioned before, my primary opponent for X-Wing is my is one of my kids. I guess I would say he, he was seven. I guess he just turned eight today. Um, so we got out the second edition stuff, and it's not like... I mean, this is all things that you knew in advance, but he actually did not like take to it very well immediately because huh. the cards don't have points on them anymore. Really? It's interesting that that was his hold-up point, because it's not like you were caring before, were you? Well, no, we well, but we were. I mean, we would still oh. build like we would still build lists that were of equivalent point values that may have been a bit silly because they're not priced for like, you know, me and my seven-year-old playing games on the table in our basements. Mm-hmm. But we we would still do that, and this is the thing I I wasn't thinking about. Like he he will like get out the X-Wing first edition. We've got everything in a binder and he'll like get the binder out and like write down lists and add up the point values and stuff. Like if I'm like after he gets home from school, but I'm still at work Hmm. and he can't do that with second edition because it's not on the cards. Not only can he not, I mean, well, right now the app isn't even out yet. So like you have to print off a PDF and then cross-reference to see what the point values the right. starting point values for the cards are because the app I think the app doesn't still doesn't come out until September 13th maybe when like the official release day of the game but he also correctly out of the mouths of babes correctly pointed out that even once the app comes out he doesn't have a device on which he can install an app <laughs> you know my uh, 7 year old does not have a smartphone so even once the app is out, he can't readily do that. I might have an old iPod I can put the app on, but I don't know. It was just it was just interesting. So I like took all the first edition stuff out and I and I boxed it up and then I, I bindered all these piles and piles of second edition cards. And then I had to take the first edition stuff back out of the box and like <laughs> put it back into a binder because he was sad. That mm. I was like taking away the first edition stuff. There's probably some sort of lesson in here about this obligatory need that we as gamers feel sometimes to like upgrade, quote unquote, upgrade to the very newest thing. Yes. And none of that has anything to do with the gameplay value uh, of the upgrade or all that, but it was just stuff I hadn't even thought about is I just I just thought he'd be excited about the new thing but he was he was mostly kind of sad about the uh, effectively the old stuff going away and how that affected the unique way in which he interacted with the game huh so when I was at the fantasy flight booth I obviously also picked up the L5R beginner game 
they had the pre-production version of the gigantic and really 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 nifty looking but man is that expensive super star destroyer for armada yeah i saw that i i want it i don't want to pay the price for it but i want it on my shelf because it looks so cool <laughs> it is really nifty <laughs> but yeah yeah it's like wow that's an mm. Mm-hmm. Remember how I mentioned, like, I only just now traded for the uh, the X-wing epic ships. Like this is yeah. this, this yeah, it, it's one of the 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 side effects of of having the very scattered gaming experience, right? You know, it's like if I was playing Armada every week, eh, you know, that'd be one thing. But <laughs> but it is a it is a pretty pretty sweet looking ship. Uh, so I hit up Fantasy Flight. I of course went over to Pathfinder, and I. I walked out with the, or I went over to the Paizo booth, and I walked out, yeah, with like all the Pathfinder playtest stuff. So you know the playtest adventure, the playtest flip mat, because why not? The playtest rules themselves. Yeah, I think I think I ended up like going back and buying more stuff at the Paizo booth three or four times <laughs> over the course. Well, because we, as we go through this, you'll notice there's a lot of Paizo in my Gen Con yeah. these days, and so. Right, I'm like, oh, I need, I gotta get those Starfinder condition cards, and then, and then, oh, I'll just break down and get like the T-shirts, and oh, oh, I should have faction pins. I like these factions, sure. I <laughs> like, what about what about the iconic characters for the Pathfinder Battle Spots? Well, and and again, same kid with the X-wing has taken a liking to Pathfinder, and I have to say this, this is. I mean, this is nothing whatsoever about a value judgment of the two systems compared to each other, but it is really kind of weird that I have played Pathfinder with him, but not Dungeons and Dragons. Because, like, of course D&D would be the ba- like the thing you start with, right? But technically, actually, the first role-playing game I played with him was No Thank You Evil, but that's like, oh, yes, different. That's, that's specifically aimed at kids. Yeah. But I don't know. It was just it was just like a little strange at the point I realized that like, huh? Like D and D was not his first like was not his first real role-playing game. Huh? Huh? Different, different. So we're like, I don't know. Like I've I've got a stack here now of all the, well, not all of them because I don't care about the goblins thing. I know like that's a thing for for. Pathfinder, I don't care, but I I, I have like a, a set of all the the Pathfinder comics, like the the graphic novel. Like I guess I, I was never like saying that like the graphic novel version. It's not a graphic novel. It's a it's a it would be a trade paperback, except it's hardcover. But like a graphic novel is one unified thing. Not we're gonna take one thing, print it as normal issues, and then later just bind them together to sell again. You know, right. So I've got all those, but so he's all, he's kind of interested in Pathfinder too. So I'm like, oh, we have we need to find some more of these iconics. He he gets all. Sometimes I don't understand his choices. He's like he get, he likes Olak, the like the I don't know what is he like the iconic orc shaman. No, it's not a shaman, something like that. I don't know, but he, Blood Rager maybe. And I'm like, but he's a he's a bad guy, Benjamin. <laughs> 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 I don't know. And then I and then I completed my role playing game trifecta by I guess visiting the White Wolf booth. As indicated in the preview thing, I didn't actually buy 
vampire because I ended up pre-ordering the slipcase three book set, which won't ship for another couple of months. Right. You gotta, you gotta get the fancy, fancy one. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. The fancy. So it's just it's a slipcase with the fifth edition core book and the Camarilla and Anarch source books, and then just in a slipcase. But it's the normal versions of the books. They did have two higher level versions of the books. the The super ultra mega limited edition version of the core book was eight hundred some dollars, I think. Wow. Like, no, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's cool at all, but like, really, that not that into that. I did get the PDF, so you can go now to strangeassembly.com and. I've got a kind of behemoth review of fifth edition. So I, di- and I also did get to play fifth edition at the vampire fifth edition at Gen Con. So I played, I played it like an alpha version or whatever version it was back at PAX. And then I, I played it here and then I'm in a vampire game that is, that is V 20, like the 20th anniversary rules, which is fourth edition essentially. Hmm. And that will be converting to 5th edition. So I think that there's a pretty good chance that at some point in the not-too-distant future, there will actually just be an episode of the podcast that's about Vampire 5th edition. But for now, I would say I... I, I like right, As with any edition change, I'm not going to claim that I like everything that they did with the new edition, but I think that they made a lot of... of positive changes with the new edition the way the new hunger dice work instead of tracking blood points is a lot more thematic it's not a comprehensive book right it is a it is a core book for an ongoing thing And, and so it's not like vampire 20th where the objective was to have just this behemoth core book that covered every single clan and every single path of enlightenment so this one it only has like the camarilla slash anarch clans it does not have most notably the Sabbat at all. It does not have path, Paths of Enlightenment at all because these are really kind of outside of the core experience of the game. And so, I mean, there are some people who are not happy about that, but I think that that's overall the right decision for the sort of product that this is. There may be really these main three books coming out from White Wolf itself, distributed by Bedifius, and then I, I think for the most part, it's then going to be supported by Onyx Path Publishing, who are the folks who have been doing it all this time. So, like, the first Onyx Path, I think, is going to be Chicago by Night. I think that'll be the third version of Chicago by Night, uh, if you don't count, like, the Requiem one. So, what I'm actually going to do now, even though I didn't do this interview until Sunday, since we're talking about Vampire now, I'm actually going to throw the audio here to... My interview with the folks at White Wolf. Your interview with a vampire? No, too that is, old. That is no, no. That <laughs> was you know you know I usually hate your jokes like that, but uh, um, no, that was really good. That was really good, Jay. That was that was really good. That movie's great, okay. by the way. Uh, if yes. You have not, anyone who hasn't seen Interview with the Vampire, uh. I can't really recommend reading anything that like Anne Rice writes no, anymore. But, no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Interview with the Vampire is a great book, and it was a great movie. 
I heartily recommend it to anyone who is interested in vampires. And I mean, it's not, they're not the same kind of vampires as like Vampire the Masquerade, but that's okay. It's really good. Anyhow, yes, let's, let's throw it to the interview with the <laughs> not actually vampires, but they make a game about them. People. Right. Hey. I'm still here on the final day of Gen Con 2018 in the White Wolf booth. Uh, you guys may remember that the fifth edition of Vampire the Masquerade was one of my most anticipated releases for Gen Con. Uh, but I'm here with uh, Jason Carl and Kareem Muammar from White Wolf. And uh, so I know that when I was here earlier in the weekend, there were many, many more copies of V5 piled on top of these tables, so I'm guessing it's been going pretty well. It's been going super well, not only in terms of sales, but in terms of uh, connection to the fans and fan reaction. We're really happy with the weekend. It's been a great Gen Con for us. That's good. Yeah, I know that when I have posted stuff this weekend about about V5, that's gotten lots of, of responses from people who great. aren't here even. And what do you think? What do you like? Guys, I'm still in the middle of the con. Like, give me a minute. <laughs> let, let me ask you some sort of behind the things. How, how did Vampire 5th come about, right? Onyx Path has been doing and is going to be continue to do Vampire the Masquerade stuff. Uh, we had v, V20. What was the, the process that we got from there to, to actually getting the 5th edition of the game? Well, I think that the process that you're talking about began two, maybe even three years ago as uh, White Wolf was being purchased by Paradox Interactive. At the time, White Wolf was previously owned by CCP, but tried and unfortunately failed to make a large MMO game out of it for eight years. And uh, we at uh, the new White Wolf, White Wolf Entertainment, decided that we want to make this a transmedia brand, which means that we want to make games in the world of darkness in all kinds of ways, not just games, but also books and movies, film, video games, board games, card games. But we also needed some kind of pillar, some kind of anchor for all of these products to draw their inspiration from. And that's why we knew that we had to make a new edition of Vampire the Masquerade ourselves to serve as that product. So we thought about this for a long time, what we wanted in the game, how we wanted the game to look, to feel, and uh, we decided to continue, uh, not retcon or not change anything of the old metaplot, but to move it forward into 2018 to introduce a lot of new complications and exciting events, as well as a new rule system that would be on the surface recognizable, but also much more modern and um, much more streamlined so that the rules actually elevated the story rather than what could happen previously get in the way of it. There were uh, sometimes a lot of roles involved for doing very small things and we wanted that to be less of an issue in this edition. Yeah, I know the, one of the things that I like about the new edition that I've heard a lot of people respond positively to is that is the, the new hunger system yeah. for the blood where it's no longer just a, a, a currency that you track. Other than that, what, what do you think are the most exciting parts of the new system that you've gotten positive fan feedback on. Well, I'll tell you what my favorite is, but you should definitely ask Kareem too, since he had a, he had a much larger hand in designing those rules than I did. But from my position as producer and also as a player and a storyteller, one of my favorite innovations is the entire character creation system. We took a really close look at how people play role-playing games today and what their expectations were. 
and then we looked at what our vision for the game was and how how we wanted to share that character creation now assumes that you and your friends will create your vampire characters together at the table in one session and that you will make group decisions about some things such as the type of coterie that your vampires belong to and what drives that coterie's motivations and what kind of resources that they will share and what kind of enemies they will have it's always been a collaborative game but the shared storytelling element among the players is now built into the character's generation system, the character design system, and I think that is definitely my favorite part of the new rules. Okay. Well, now I have to ask you too, of course. Oh, <laughs> oh well, well. Said, having been instructed to do so. Yes. Um, well, apart from the hunger system, I think uh, one of the great things about the new system is uh, the way that we treat humanity and how you, as a player group, Maybe even as you create your characters or in collaboration with the storyteller as you come up with the kind of chronicle, decide upon exactly what sins should define the limits to humanity. What are the essential tenets, that we call them, chronicle tenets, that must not be violated in order for you to retain the human part of yourself so that you can decide upon the themes and moods of the chronicle and have that be reflected in the rules. And then your character also has convictions and touchstones attached to those convictions, which are humans that remind them of the principles that help them to stay sane. And these humans are, of course, liabilities uh, as well as assets, and they need to be protected and, uh, well, cared for, even if at a distance, and are a powerful tool and powerful secrets to find out about other vampires if you want to undermine them and are working against them. Also, another thing that uh, I like very much are the memoriam rules, which is something that we at an early development stage call the Highlander rules. Because in the movie Highlander, there's a lot of flashbacks to earlier ages, uh, earlier eras, explaining how the main character got to know this person or how he came to learn a certain skill. And we wanted that to be part of vampires, that he could, as a player, say, wait a minute, I remember during the French Revolution. And then you as a player initiate that flashback, you decide upon the goal on it, what you want to achieve in, you know, in the present, and you and your fellow players, together with the storyteller, play out a short flashback that you try, in which you try to um, achieve a set number of goals in order to achieve a result in the future where you're now and that can be really interesting I just D- Duncan McLeod it up I guess yeah um, alright no, now Connor McLeod Duncan McLeod was the uh, TV series the TV series yeah. yes I guess I remember more of uh, I mean there's just a lot I guess there's just more hours sure. of film by the time you have the TV Absolutely. series the TV series was surprisingly good I thought it was yeah. a lot of fun they did a lot of good things in that Yes, yeah. I, I, I think my uh, Jay, Jay and I, the other fellow who's most often on the podcast with me, we actually randomly were talking about this in the Gen Con preview episode uh, because someone's releasing a high, there's a Highlander the Duel yes. game coming out here, and we both agreed that we kind of like Duncan just better than Connor. <laughs> so now you mentioned earlier your insidious plot to suck all of the money out of my pocket by releasing more. Uh, Vampire, the masquerade products. We are, and, we are liberating the money. You're liberating, the, liberating money. the money. Fair, fair. Uh, got to see these things from the anarch perspective. <laughs> uh, and I know you have you have flyers here for uh, 
a Vampire the Masquerade game called Heritage. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, absolutely we can. Kareem's actually played it, so. Mm-hmm. Yes. Vampire the Masquerade Heritage is uh, a game, it's a legacy game that is mainly card-driven, that plays out all the way from the Dark Ages up to the 1990s. Every game you play moves the timeline a few decades further along, and the game changes, the cards change, new elements are added as new vampires are embraced, new mortals are embraced and become vampires in your bloodline that expands as the game goes on. And it's a really neat game that at first um, I was, um, the, ex- the design and the rules were so different to anything I'd played previously that it was hard to imagine reading them what it would be like. We sat down and played the game, me and a couple of uh, my colleagues at the office, and we came away saying, wow, this was really good. And we just played a single session and we can only imagine how more interesting the game would be once you start adding on you know, the, the campaign structure. Uh, as you add, as you progress through the ages, as you add more cards, you change the cards. So I, I have high hopes for this, and you can't see this on the podcast, but I have some of the artwork here. The, po- the artwork is really amazing. Really terrific. Yeah. Yeah, they that... Come, they come a long way in a really short time, which tells me a lot about their ability to deliver. Yeah, it, uh, that, that concept sounds incredibly awesome. Uh, I guess I'm going to be kickstarting it in early 2019 according to the information here. Yeah, there's a demo at Essen uh, at Spiel now uh, this year. Okay, well, I, I know I'm not going to be in Germany this year, but anybody okay. who is... <laughs> Got it. I would definitely check that out if I was there, and yeah, I will definitely hit up the, the crowdfunding in, in 2019. So, so thanks a, a bunch for talking to us guys, and... I, I know that once uh, I get back home that we are gonna uh, we're gonna have a, a vampire game that converts over to V5 now. All we'll right. have to figure out how to do that. Tell us uh, how like that. <laughs> that is actually pretty simple because 90% of the stats are similar. So converting old characters to the new system is actually pretty simple. It's gonna take you a few minutes at most. Okay. I know I just have to figure out what the difference between generation and blood potency is now. No, so you, you still have generation. Yeah. So you can still have the same generation, you just have to decide upon, you know, exactly what blood potency on that span am I, and, you know, it's... It's surprisingly simple. You're not... I don't think you're going to have any difficulty converting. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. I just... I hadn't sat down to, to, yeah. to look at that process right. yet. Okay. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We're back, and I, I also want to mention... I, you, you may have picked it up from there, but I am super excited about the legacy... A vampire game that they're doing. So this right is right. You're gonna play a legacy game with a bloodline of vampire of of, of vampires from like the dark ages through the modern nights. Huh. Neat. Yes, it is. Like, yeah. It is just hitting so many. I know I should be more cautious after Seafall, but even the the betrayal legacy that's coming out later this fall. Betrayal at House on the Hill is kind of like a hit or miss game. It you have to really be in the right sort of mood for it. It is not a shall we say rigorous game, and yet I'm pretty pumped at at, at the possibility of trying out Betrayal Legacies. So like I'm off the charts at the possibility of a Vampire the Masquerade Legacy game. We're not the possibility that like, they are doing it, even without knowing 
anything whatsoever other than it's a Vampire the Masquerade Legacy game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's all it took to get you. I know, I know. I'm such a sucker sometimes. I'm amazed that I resisted buying Beckett's Jihad Diary. I just had already spent so much, much money I couldn't. Like, it's weird like that. Like, I, I kind of, I, I mean, when I'm at Gen Con, I kind of, like, fluctuate back and forth between, oh, must buy all the things, and oh my gosh, how much money have you already spent, Chris? Put it down. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then I, when I'm doing it, too, I now have the added benefit of, okay, do I have room in my suitcase for this? Which, side note, I, I didn't en- end up needing to take advantage of this, but I was really glad to see, I think it was Ship Naked, had a booth right outside the Exhibitor Hall where you could ship yourself stuff. Yes. Um, I'd feel really weird if I do that. But it is, if you're overflowing your suitcase, it's yeah. cheaper to ship stuff than to, than to pay some excess baggage, excess yeah. weight fee exactly. on the airline. Yeah. They kill you on those oh they do yeah so anyhow vampire fifth edition worth checking out and so let's see we're we're, we're now nearing an hour or so in the episode probably and we haven't even gotten to 10 a.m on thursday morning <laughs> boom we're just zooming so right t- 10 a.m is what I, I i want to call it the running of the geeks but they're <laughs> they're really serious about the not running thing yeah so it's really yes, more like are. the speed walking of the geeks <laughs> but the other the other like sort of very meta thing that was amusing for me is right so I, i'm in the exhibitor hall like you know early i mean i'm not, I'm not like I'm gonna air quote like real press because if you're like say the dice tower, you don't have to go through this. They just well they're an exhibitor now too, but like people of of real import, like they're just gonna let in on Wednesday and early on Thursday. What? But like the little smaller scale press thing, you can try to get the early access. But the notoriety of the crush and the rush on Thursday morning is such that if you are inside the exhibitor hall. There's like a whole crowd of press people preparing to film <laughs> the people coming. <laughs> to yes, the, it's yes. Like, uh, like, oh look, I'm one of like 50 people who have the same notion of what they should do. Like at exactly 10 in the morning is film these people walking in through the doors. I almost kept wondering if somebody was going to come up to like us press folks and be like, "Can you guys just get out of the way? <laughs> <laughs> like more smoothly flow through here." <laughs> I don't know. So that happened. I, I did hit up other things I wanted to to hit up on Thursday morning. I bought WizKids, uh, the Maiden Quest game from that, and I was funny. And this was another one that I had a an unexpected reaction from the kids on. So I always I come back with a bunch of games, but I always pick one game that is specifically for each of the kids, and so. Like I said, er, uh, when our preview episode, Maiden Quest, kind of feels to me like Princeless, the card game. And the kids like that, and, and my daughter liked that. So I got this for her. And, right, the theme is like, oh, yeah, you're the princess in the tower, but now you're busting out and going on your own sort of stuff. And I got it for her, and I gave it to her, and she went like, that's a grown-up game. I don't want it. <laughs> like, and I can't get her to play it. Oh, I, the I, you're killing me here. You're killing me here. I, I'm like, 
I'm a, I'm apparently just not it was just not in tune with the uh, the kids this year. Not <laughs> at all. I made sure to check out Eight Bit Box. Did you get the chance to look at that? I know that was like the one thing that was on both of our preview lists. Yeah, I mean, that was, I didn't, it was always too crowded. I didn't get to sit a demo, but I did watch other people get demos of it, and it looks pretty cool. Yeah, and it did look like this is a collection, but then, I I, I mean, it did seem like, yeah, they're going to have the extra planned out, like releasing more little expansion packs for it to go with uh, the base game or maybe even selling those independently so yeah i, I think I, I got to watch people playing pseudo pac-man or i don't know what it's called <laughs> right but poku man no no can't do that <laughs> no thanks Scott not... Pilgrim. <laughs> let's see so let's at least try to get through noon on thursday how about that so okay I did a demo of, I kid you not, Dos. And what do you think Dos might be a, a sequel to? Uh, Trace? No, that would be, a, it would be a prequel. Oh, okay. A prequel. Um, Candyland. Yeah, okay, well, come on. You know what <laughs> I Jeez, don't want like... to guess completely wrong. No, yes. So, yeah, this is, this is like a follow-up to Uno, because Mattel had a booth at, at at Gen Con this year. And yeah, so they had Dose, which is like Uno, but there's always at least two stacks of cards out to play. And I mean, and you have to say Dose when you get down to two cards. It was, it definitely involves more thinking than Uno does. Yeah. I talked a little bit to the folks at, I guess like to wrap even more Paizo adjacent stuff back in. So I stopped and talked to the Hero Lab people because I've, uh, noticed as I sit down to play Pathfinder stuff, sometimes there will be like people who have like the app and the online service on their phone to keep track of their characters, or or like a literal laptop because you can go through and like apply like oh the GM tells you that your character is you know exhausted or something, and then you can click the exhausted button and it'll automatically adjust what your stats are. It's even more involved than the condition cards. I have kind of decided that some sort of something is required to keep track of all of these different things. Like what exactly does it mean when I'm nauseated versus when I'm stunned versus when yeah. I'm second? Like I can't keep track. Yeah. If I was that dedicated to just the one thing, okay. But I think they're kind of switching their model a little bit. Cause I think they'd traditionally done a, uh, a sort of like you quote unquote, buy the book. And then like you have that option available in their online service for your characters. And maybe they're, I think maybe they're going to a more, or possibly going to a more subscription-like sort of thing for like, you know, a, a, however much a month you can just always go online and access your characters. But that's, uh, I mean, they have, uh, they've got a little bit for, I think, Pathfinder, they're doing Pathfinder playtest, they've got Starfinder now, and they're going to have Pathfinder 2nd. They've got a, a integration with other systems as well. And then... I don't know, it's kind of going to be too late, but the by the time this comes out, for anybody to get the like early order discount, but did you have the chance to go to the Privateer Press booth and look at their uh, L5R mini crate miniatures? I unfortunately found out about that too late in the con to... I heard about that like Sunday, and then I couldn't find their booth, so no. It's, so it's mini-crate.com, so... It's a miniature subscription service, basically, 
just like these all these loot crate boxes are where they send you something but right. they like send you a mini a month basically and they are in partnership with Fantasy Flight doing one for Legend of the Five Rings so i think the first the very first one is Tagashi Yakuni neat so it's like mini-crate.com/l5r and you can subscribe there they don't get released until January so my guess is that you have quite some time to like still get on board but I think there may have been some sort of promotional period that is going to end on August 31st like I said probably after and you guys are listening to this Hmm. so but you can still still check that out I mean or you can just like google L5R mini crate and it will show up that's not uh, an issue I'm giving us a little bit of guff because we actually have covered things that happened on Friday already. But do you, do you have anything else for our chronological overview before noon on Thursday? <laughs> no, before before noon on Thursday was me scrubbing out at L5R. Cause oh, that's right. That's right. Reference takes, so yeah, it's, as you said, it started at nine. But yeah, two rounds took me about to noon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, that's that's going to be the end for part one of our Gen Con <laughs> 2018 presentation. We will be back with part two, which will pick up in the middle of the day on Thursday. Just because every time I say that, it makes us sound it makes me sound sillier and sillier, honestly. So we will see you back here for that. But you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there or on the Apple Podcast app, Apple iTunes, or the Google Play Music Store. We always appreciate it if you leave us a review at any of those places because reviews or ratings are used by those services to place podcasts in search results. And so that can help other people find the show. You can check us out on social media. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter. Like I mentioned earlier, you can use those to go back and look at some of our live from Gen Con coverage. You can also email me directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear your comments and criticisms and, and feedback. Uh, so do feel free to use that. It's chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then... For Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. So when are we officially changing the name of the podcast to Scrub Assembly? Um, I think that's already taken by Denton's podcast. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs>